Well, hey, welcome. My name's Jim. If I haven't met you before, happy Father's Day uh, to you guys. A big day. And I know that Father's Day uh, can be a great day. It can be a challenging day, too, where, uh, you know, maybe we carry some sort of wound from our past with a dad or uh, we've lost a dad. And so we want to just acknowledge that as well. And, uh, but we want to say to those of you who are dads in the room, we love you guys. We support you. And, um, and hey, every bit that we can of trying to uh, be like our heavenly dad in the lives of other people, in the lives of our kids, the better, right? Uh, so happy Father's Day to you guys, and thanks for spending some of the time uh, with us here this morning. It's actually kind of funny. Do you know Father's Day is the least attended Sunday on the church calendar? <laughs> it's just uh, everybody's out fishing or something, you know. So. Uh, but we're glad that you're here this morning. For me as a dad... Uh, I'm missing my kid today, you guys. Um, the, uh, our high school ministry here took 30-some high schoolers down to Costa Rica, and they're doing work down there. They're doing some uh, construction projects. They're working with kids. Here's a picture of them over at the airport when they landed down in Costa Rica. Would you guys just be praying for them? And especially there's a tall, red-headed dude in the middle there. Pray for him especially, and in fact... Let's just pray right now for those guys because they get back tomorrow night. Uh, and it's just such a cool thing. Those of you who are in high school or headed to high school, I hope that you will consider going on a trip like this. It is uh, literally can be life-changing for the people that go. I cannot wait to have them back and hear the stories. So let's pray for them. God, we lift you this group. We pray that you'd be watching over them right now, that they would have had a week that would uh, really impact them and impact the people that they have met. We're so grateful to be just a part of something where we can actually do stuff like that. And we don't take that for granted. So uh, thanks, Lord. And we lift them up to you and we ask you that you bring them back safe to us and that they would have grown to know you more because of their time. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys. We are in the last uh, message of a little series we've done called Why Do We Do That? And what we wanted to do is look at just some different things that the church does and say, like, why, why in the world do we do that? Why do we do communion? Why do we do baptism? And today we want to look at why do we show up here on Sundays? What's the point? You know, 93% of the culture isn't doing this, you guys. They're, they're not showing up on a Sunday in an old warehouse or some steeple church somewhere singing with other people. Who does that? What, you know? Where else in your life do you sing with other people or sing at all, you know, besides the shower? And, and so here we are, and we come together for something that we call a worship service. What is that? Why, why not just stay home and watch online? It's going to come out, you know, we're going to have it all online later today. What, what's the point in actually showing up? Some of you are like, yeah, what is the point? Uh, what am I doing here? We want to talk about why do we do that. My, my nightmare, I'll, I'll be honest with you guys, I will, I will quit the day that I feel like our church becomes a rote thing where you show up without heart. That's just my nightmare. No, we, I, the only reason we do this is we've got we to have passion around this. We've got to understand why do we do something called a worship service. I ran across a picture this week that got me thinking about this. Check this out. This is um, in one of our global neighbors, kind of how they operate. This is the dictator's birthday party. So everybody shows up once a year, 
and they all line up in rows, and if you could see it a little bit closer, they're all in their like stuff, and they've got their, their fists clenched, and they're there to celebrate the supreme leader. And I just have to look at this picture and think, how many of these people actually want to be there? And how many of these people are there because they're afraid of consequences? How many of these people actually have a love and a passion for the leader? And how many of them are there just because they feel like they have to be, otherwise, you know, something bad will happen to them? How true is that of church, too? Man, if you've ever been dragged to a church service, or you've grown up in some kind of church where you're like, oh my gosh, I do not want to go, but I feel like I have to go, either because somebody else is forcing me to go, or... For some of us, we grew up, or maybe even now, we grew up thinking, if I don't go, God, like, I'm going to die someday. I'm going to come face to face with God. Jesus is going to pull out some book, and he's going to look at me, and he's going to open the attendance rolls on church attendance. And he's going to check, and, oh, wow, it looks like you really like to fish and ski, you know. And that's going to be like a major knock against you. Like, God takes attendance somehow on this kind of thing. Guys, this is not a dictator's birthday party. You know, we don't show up for worship every Sunday out of obligation or out of shame or because we're being forced to or because that there's some sort of like awful consequence that awaits us if we don't show up for this. Now, I, here's what I want you to think today. So a couple weeks ago I gave a, a message where uh, Chris Lagadros, who's our middle and high school pastor, said, Jim, it's really good when you use rhyming phrases. Keep using rhyming phrases. So I said sliding or not deciding last week. Uh, so here's my rhyming phrase of the week. Chris, this is for you. Here's, here's what we want to do. We don't want to just play a part. Give your heart. Don't just, don't just show up to something like this, like, you know, I guess i got to go to this thing, and my mom's making me. No, man, we come with heart and passion. This is not a dictator's birthday party. So This is a worship service. Some of us, even when you hear that word worship, you think like, what? Mm. Think of the image that comes to your mind. What's the first image that comes to mind when you hear the word worship? You know, um, when, I, when I think of the word worship, sometimes we equate that with just little narrow things. Like sometimes when we hear the word worship, some people equate that just with singing. Like when you come into a service, there's the worship part and then there's the talk part. And we've reduced worship into something that just happens during the service instead of worship actually being something that is true of your entire life. You can worship in the way that you love the person who lives next door to you. You can worship in the way you use your money. You can worship in the way that you forgive someone. You can't just, if you're not living the rest of your life in worship, you can't just waltz into a room like this and suddenly turn on the worship button Right? We, we only come with passion and joy and love for God in a setting like this if it reflects the rest of our lives. Here's an idea of what I think worship cut might mean. So if you think about what um, is happening during the dictator's party, what's that all about? It's all about submission. It is all about, look, you are here to submit your life under the rule of that person. What, what does worship mean, though, in our context? Here's, here's a little definition of worship for you. Worship equals submission, yes, and love. It's an and. We actually come to God saying we love you and mean it. And we submit. 
we, we say that you're greater than we are. And we're going to follow where you go. To worship something means we love and we submit to it. You take one of those two words out, you got trouble. Just to love something but not to give your life over to it or just to give your life over to it but not love it, then we're back at the dictator's birthday party. Our, our hope and our dream for our time together, why do we do that, is that we experience what real worship means, that we love God and we submit to God. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever, when, when you had a moment of prayer, do you feel like you can say to God, I love you? Do you use those words and actually be able to say it and feel like you mean it? Or, or do you feel like the guy in like the rom-com movie who's like, I love, 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 I love you, I love you. Have you guys never seen rom-coms before? <laughs> Come on. You know that scene? What, what does it take to get to that point where you can actually express love to God and, and mean it? And not just feel like, you know, we're here out of obligation. Man, we never want that. Ugh. One of the ways we learn how to talk to God, have a relationship with God, express love to God, is actually, you find it in a book in the Bible called the Psalms. So the Psalms are just a group of songs that were written like hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago. And they really kind of lay out for us, how do you actually enter into this conversation with God that leads to the kind of love relationship that we hope and pray is present in worship and in our time together. So um, I want to show you, look at, look at Psalm 18. This is, this is a guy named David who wrote this. He said, I love you, Lord. You're my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He's my shield, the power that saves me in my place of safety. I called on the Lord who's worthy of praise, and he saved me from my enemies. Can you, can you feel the intimacy in those words? What a, how does somebody get to a spot where it's not just something that we do to be a part of a church or to be religious? How do you get to a spot like where David is here where this, this feels like something wholly different that's coming out of his life? You get the sense that he really believes this that he really has a relationship with God. There's a conversation going on. How in the world does that happen? Uh, I think it happens in lots of different ways. I'll give you, uh, you know, for the little bit that I have any ounce of relationship with God and maturity in my life, I'll show you how I think it happened for me. I, I, think, I think people in this world are really, uh, the majority of people are after something I would call like the market trend life. So think about it this way. Somebody um, might view success in life like this. Think of like a little stock market chart. There's, there's ups and downs in your life, kind of up and down, you know. But if, if at the end of the day our little life trend was going this direction, some of us might call that a goal or success in life. As long as, 
as long as I can deal with the ups and downs because I know that I'm trending upward, at the end of life, so goes the thinking, you know, my life was good. And I, I got to say, for me, here's what my chart looked like. I got going, you know, life, and I had my ooh, ups and downs. And, and somewhere along the line in there, I became so aware. We got to put some more downs in there. Um, somewhere along the line, I started looking at the downs in my life, and I realized something. A lot of the downs in my life were self-created. Not all of them. Stuff happens. Bad stuff happens, right, that create major downs. But, but for me, I look back at my life and I started going, a lot of these downs were me harming someone or me harming myself in some way. And I felt a lot of like kind of guilt or shame over that. And that, you guys, is where for me, that's where Jesus entered the picture for me. And instead of the guilt and the shame that I thought I deserved, I, I just, I, I'd never forget when I first realized he actually loves me even though. Like if you were here last week and you heard Bill talk about the idea that we are buried in the downs that we have created, literally just buried, and somehow Jesus pulls us out and rescues us and saves us. Man, Bill's talking about my life. And, and it became not a like, well, what's the trend in my life? It, when you run into Jesus here in your life, it starts to be like, actually, there's a bigger story than just me. My little market trend life seems awfully small now. Compared to, there's a God that made me and loves me, and this is an entirely different, larger narrative than what I ever thought was possible before. And it's one that God, like, actually loves me and rescues me. I had a um, couple friends who, and, and so th- especially in high school, this stuff's all just going on for me. And I had a couple friends who seemed so passionate about their faith. And I was like, man, how do you get there? Like, what? And, and they started, um, they taught me a song. And I remember one time I was out in my car and I was on a long road trip, I was by myself. And I'm driving in my car and I started to sing this song. Here's the song I sung. I sounded much better than that, obviously, as you can imagine. Um, <laughs> uh, no, I, I'm in my car, and I'm, I'm singing this. I sung this for like 500 miles, and I just was weeping just with the realization that, like, despite the stuff, man, I love you, Lord, for the way you have rescued me 
Guys, long before I ever said, I love you, God, in a prayer, I sang it first. And, and I'll never forget that car ride. It was a huge car ride for me, just singing to God. I want to try something. Would you, would you just take a second and um, let, let, I'll take a risk here. Close your eyes for a second. Would you close your eyes and I want you to think for a second back on this little life of ours that we lead and I want you to picture where was the deepest low and maybe even the deepest low that you went through that you created. And I want you to think for a second about Jesus, Jesus standing in front of you, knowing full well that deepest low. And I want you to picture him looking at you and instead of shaming you or being angry with you, I want you to picture him winking at you. And then he looks at you and he says, it's okay. Despite that low, despite the way you have harmed yourself, others, I love you. And then he takes you and he hugs you. There's a different paradigm for life, you guys. Now here's what I want you to do, open your eyes and I want you to sing this again. I want you to sing this again in that context of Jesus looking at you and saying, I'm with you, despite those deepest lows. as you see at the dictator's birthday party, uh, there's no forgiving going on. There's no rescuing happening. And, and there's actually no relationship that happens after that. You know, you think about just the trend here, and, and the amazing thing is when you get to this point of the road, the, the trend stops, and the trend becomes about something else completely. It becomes, instead of my life, my life, my life, it becomes about my relationship, my love of Christ. And then there's a relationship that forms after that. And, and, and here's the thing. You can actually be forgiven but not continue on in a relationship. How many people have I seen in ministry in years of doing this that think that if I pray some prayer to ask for forgiveness, that's it and then it's over? That's just the beginning it's the beginning of this adventure in relationship with God. I, um, I got a speeding ticket when I was 16 years old, my first speeding ticket. I've only had two. But I got it. I was, I was driving down to a baseball game in Denver, and I had two guys in the car. We were going down to play in our baseball game. 
uh, summer game that we were playing in. And I'm driving. I got Bobby Lee and, and Mike O'Shea in my car. And they were like egging me on. Hey, we're going to be late. Let's go. We got to stop at 7-Eleven, get a, you know, big gulp before the game. So I'm driving down 36, trying to, you know, I'm speeding along. The speed limit was 55 back then. I think I was going 71. And so I'm, I'm going and I'm passing where the exit is on Pecos off to Waterworld. And I didn't see it fast enough. I saw it too late. There was this motorcycle cop. I swear he's like 300 pounds. He's like off his bike, huge guy. And he's just like doing this with his gun, right? Just nails me as I go by. And I'm like, oh. And the guys are like, yes, you're busted. Like they loved it. And so sure, high school. So the the guy gets on his bike, sure enough, he chases me down, he pulls me over, motorcycle cop gets up, comes to the side of the car, writes me up a ticket, no matter, I couldn't say a thing, I was just, you know, no defense, gives me a ticket. So what happens is, then a month later or whatever, I go into the uh, Westminster little courthouse, and I have to go in front of the judge. And so I get all dressed up, had my tie on, I hated ties even then. And so I go, I go in front of the judge, and I'm being nice. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'm very sorry, sir. You know, I'm, I'm doing my thing. And I noticed that while I'm waiting that everybody else, all the other, you know, 16-year-old guys who are getting tickets, we're all getting tickets for like $80 to $100. Well, 1989, that's a lot of money for a 16-year-old high school student. I'm going, oh, my gosh, 100 bucks. My mom has, like, grounded me for my car for three months. Like, this is a train wreck. And so I, I get my turn in front of the judge, and I'm like, man, what's he going to do for me? 80 or 100 bucks. Well, here's what happens. My mom pops up. The judge says, do you want to say anything else? And I'm like, nope. And my mom jumps up to the mic. And my mom says, Jimmy's a good kid. He, he's never done anything wrong. And she starts crying. And I'm, and I'm, I've never done anything wrong. You know, like, Jimmy, 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 you know. And um, I'm just sitting there like, oh, my gosh. And the judge goes, okay, takes us into account. And then he goes, um, he, you know, gives me the little sentence. And my fine gets reduced to $40. Way to go, mom, you know. Like, keep crying. So, but I get this reduced sentence, and I'm loving this judge. I don't have a relationship with that guy anymore. I never met him. Never talked to him again. Never anything with him. That's the difference here. We, we get rescued along the, on the way. We, we get forgiven by God. But that's just the beginning. The beginning of a relationship that begins with God that's, a, that's an interaction. That includes both love and admiration. But also, just like any good relationship, includes anger. Like, you know, here's just a thought on this. Like, I can't stand in front of that judge and say anything negative or that fine's getting raised. When you go to the dictator's birthday party, you better not say anything negative or there's big problems for you. In a relationship with God, here's the interesting, it's so different. God understands about us that you actually can't love someone unless you can also be angry with them. You can't love someone who you can't be angry with. It's this beautiful thing in our relationship that God allows for us. Because some of us are in these deepest lows. You can't just, it's not just all love and oh, show up at this and just say nice things and pretend. Ooh, it's gotta be real and honest. 
our, our times together have to reflect that. The Psalms reflected that. So in Psalm 18, you get this, I love you, Lord. You're my rock. You're my shield. In Psalm 13, you get this. Look at what, look at what he says in Psalm 13. Oh, Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? Like you're not even paying attention to me, God. How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Do you realize that over half the Psalms are this theme? Yes, we praise you, we love you. But over half the Psalms say, where are you? Do you realize what a gift that is? That's a real relationship. This is the psalm book that helps us and teaches us how to talk to God. If you were to take that, this, again, remember, this was written as a song originally. This is what it would sound like. I will confess some days I feel forgotten. Seems like you're hiding your face from me. I will admit that I wrestle with my thoughts, struggle with all of the sorrow deep. How long will you leave me here without answers, crushed by the words of my enemies? Well, Jim asked if I would just share for a moment. Um, for me, it was about a year and a half ago where I hit that that dark, deep low right there. And um, some things happened in our lives, some circumstances that we couldn't have planned for. And um, for someone who had had a very straight and smooth journey, it felt like all of a sudden the floorboards that I had been standing on in my life had just fallen through and I was free falling. I don't know if any of you can relate to a time like that, um, but it was scary and it was low. And it was in that season where singing songs like, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, although true, was very hard. And the words that I needed to sing in that time, that season of life, uh, were more like this. When the night is holding on to me, God is holding on. It's when the night is holding on to me, is holding on. And what I found is that God met me in those spaces. God met me in those words and that I could uh, come to God with wrestling and questions and I could sing words to God in faith. Um, words like those Psalms, um, why have you forsaken me, God? And God was there and God's big enough to handle it. So um, in that season, songs like that really ministered to me and it was my way of connecting with God in a tough season. That's not easy to share. Thank you, Becky. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Guys, I, I think what you see in the story here that, that Becky's sharing here is what does worship do? What does what, when we sing together do? Worship teaches us how to be relational with God. Again, far before I said to God, I love you, I sung it. I was talking to Bill about this, and Bill was just sharing how when he was just first kind of learning who God was, he'd grown up Catholic, he'd gone through the rituals, he had felt like the sense of maybe some emptiness around that. 
and he had never um, really embraced what it means to have it be personal to him and relational with God to him. And he noticed that when he would come into a group where people were singing, he noticed the passion that he saw in the people around him. And it, and it started to give him words on how he started talking to God himself. It was because of the passion that people were singing with around him had this huge impact on Bill. Guys, think about that. You know, there's a trend today in the church where people, and especially people that are maybe um, have walked with God a long time, where they would look at a worship service and say, I actually, I don't know that that is, uh, that I need to go, you know, to that. Maybe the trends are like once every four, five, eight weeks, that kind of thing. Because the, the thought is like, you know, I'm at a point in my life where I might be learning more from something I read or a podcast or, you know, I'm in my car and I'm singing to God and that, that tends to be, how I'm now growing with God, more so than when I show up on a Sunday morning. And I just got to say, man, you are missing the Bill Stevens. The idea that for us as we progress in our faith that we need to less come into a corporate gathering like this, I'll just say it, it's selfish. We're, we're missing the opportunity to show the Bill Stevens among us, how do we have a conversation with God? You guys know, we get requests sometimes about, uh, hey, who's preaching this weekend? Uh, if you ever wondered, like, the, you know, just the dynamic of me and Bill both teaching up here, sometimes we get those requests of, like, hey, you know, is Jim preaching? Is Bill preaching? You want to know why we never will answer that question? <laughs> it's not about that. You, you can go online and, you know, look at all the talks, all that stuff. And frankly, you can go online and find people that are much better than us. Or at least me. I'll, I'll let Bill speak for himself on that. With, with the way it works today, there, you have anything available to you technology-wise online. That's not the point. The point is that when Jesus says, when two or more are gathered in my name, there I am too. That this gathering means that when we come in together... We believe Jesus is actually here. And there is incredible power that when you show up and that when you participate in this and you sing with all your heart, it may ultimately, you may not like the talk. It may not ultimately be about you. It may be exactly about the person who's sitting next to you who is learning this language about how do I interact with God. And by you being a part of a worship service, you are teaching someone else how to be relational with God. It's huge, huge role to play that every single one of us has. And in fact, I think that's why in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, the writer is, they're dealing with the same stuff back then that we are today. The writer says to them, look, Do not get out of the habit of meeting with one another, as some have done. Don't get out of that habit. Why? Yes, you will come into this place if you come with expectation. God's going to meet you in a space like this on Sundays. But God may meet that person who is sitting next to you in a way because of your presence here that will surprise 
and maybe even shock you. And the next Bill Stevens sitting in this room is learning how to worship God. When Becky, here's the irony. When Becky shares that story, I just started thinking, the irony is Becky is up here leading us. And she's going through these doubts and feelings of like, do I actually believe this? And but then you are singing it back over her. And so just by your presence in a corporate way, worshiping together, you're actually ministering to the person who's up front. Amazing how God works through that. Don't miss that. Don't miss out on that opportunity. Guys, this is about love and submission to a God who loves us. And so I just, let's just remember where we started here. Don't just play a part. Man, show up expecting to meet God here. Show up with your passion. Show up with your expectation that God is going to speak and do something in people's lives. Don't just play a part in here, but give your heart. What we want to do is we want to take a moment and do something that uh, is extremely tangible on this. And we want to take communion. So Bill talked about that last week if you were here. What does it mean to, uh, to have this moment where on the night before Jesus died, he, he pulled out bread. He's sitting with his followers. He pulled out bread and he said, this is my body that is broken for you. I'm going to die for you. Those lowest moments on the chart. I, I'm... I'm giving my life away. I not only forgive you and am winking at you, I'm giving my life away for you. And so when I break this bread, just remember, I'm dying for you. And then he takes a cup of wine and he pours it and he says, it's my blood that is going to be shed for you. Incredible moment. We got the chance this morning to do that together. We want to remember that promise that Jesus gave together this morning. And so what we'll do is we'll have different stations all around the room. And in a moment, I'm going to ask you to get up, and only if, only if you want to, right? No one's keeping attendance of who's taking communion. You can just sit in your chair if you want. But if you want to participate in this, we're going to have you get up in a second, and you're going to go to your right. Everybody go to their right, and either come to the front or the back, whichever station you go to, then you can circle back around to your seat. That's how we want to do this. But guys, as, as we do this, here's my prayer. I hope you'll take that this morning, rip off that bread, And I hope that you'll pray this prayer. God, do I need more love? Or do I need to more submit today? Do I need to express to you my love and adoration for you? Or is there a part of my life that I need to put under you and say, this is yours? This will be a powerful moment with the Lord, and so I want to pray for it. God, we thank you that we have the chance to do this, that we have space to do this, that we have people uh, to do this time together that we spend on Sundays. And we pray, God, that you would meet us in this moment and speak to us. Um, Flame up in our hearts that love and passion for you. Remind us of those lows and your love for us. And we pray, God, that now as we take communion together, that it would be just this incredible witness to what it means to have a relationship with you today. In Jesus' name, amen.